0: My theory has always been that if you finish a book and what you remember or what you take away emotionally is character-driven as opposed to plot-driven, you, you've you've accomplished something. Because the plot is always obviously very important. We just talked about beginning, middle, end. But the plot to me is a vehicle for getting your characters, whom you really like, hopefully, or maybe some you don't like, you want to put them in positions that the reader can identify with.
1: That was from my conversation with Michael French, who has been publishing books for nearly 50 years. Michael has a degree in creative writing and journalism, served in the military, has published over 20 titles, including award-winning young adult fiction, adult fiction, biographies, and self-help books. He's written or co-written half a dozen screenplays, including Intersection, which has won awards in over 20 film festivals. Michael's first book was published in 1976, and just last year, he published his latest novel, Cliffhanger, Jump Before You Get Pushed. I really, really enjoyed my conversation with Michael, so let's get over to it. As always, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. Welcome to The Walk Show Podcast, Michael French. Thank you so much for joining. How are you doing this evening?
0: I'm doing great, and it's a pleasure to be on your show.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much again for coming on. Um, so, Michael, I got to tell you, I was looking looking through your your website, MichaelRFrench.com, ahead of, of our recording, and um, you have an incredible volume of <laughs> of work that you've accomplished throughout your life. Um, I mean, you've got degrees in in creative writing and journalism. You serve in the military. You've published over 20 titles, including award-winning young adult fiction, adult fiction, biographies, self-help books. You've co-written or written half a dozen screenplays, uh, including Intersection, which won awards at over 20 film festivals. Um, So just an incredible volume of work. So I, I guess, you know, I'll just start at the very beginning. Did you have an idea from you know, from early childhood, that, that writing and creating content like this was was what you wanted to do?
0: Oh, I think from since I was a teenager and, and the, the, the moody years, 13, 14, <laughs> 15, uh, where you have no idea who you really are, but you pretend that you do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but um, that gave me great comfort. Uh, I was sort of a solitary person. And when you have the ability to lock yourself, close the door of your room and turn, and you had a typewriter in those days and you can write whatever you wanted to, and it sounded pretty good. You know, (laughs) you didn't want to show it to anybody because you were afraid. Uh, So, um, but uh, the other issue is that, that I always want to do this. Yes, I did, but it was also drummed into me by my parents and my older brother, that you had to make a living, you had to be Mm. able, you know, to justify whatever your time was spent on, it had to be income producing. So once I got out of, um, I had my degrees and I got out of the army, I took a job in public relations. Um, for the mighty salary of nine thousand two hundred dollars, which, which at the time was even then, it was sort of in the poverty range. It was, it sure. wasn't uh, you know something to brag about, but but the idea of working incessantly, that is something I, I inherited through the advice of my parents or watching my father who was an obstetrician and worked really hard all the time, uh, delivering babies. Um, and, and I just said, well, I've got to do that. That's what they expected me. So uh, when my wife and I got married, um, she had a job. I had a job, a day job, an eight to five job. And I would write at night or I would sneak time in the morning. It's all about sneaking time. It's like people say, well, I don't have time to write. Well, no, you don't. No one does. But, you know, and then you then you start to write and you say, what am I doing? I don't know what I'm writing about today. And so you got to find another activity. That's that's another diversion. But um, but writing, you know, I mean, if it starts feeding your soul when you're a teenager and you get used to that, I won't call it an addiction, but I will certainly call it habit forming. um, Mm -hmm. You need that. You need something like that creative outlet as as you go through life.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I think that's a an incredibly important thing um to be said is is how valuable that creative outlet is. Um you know, obviously podcasting and writing are very different things, but um I didn't realize until I started this podcast a, a few years ago, I didn't realize how much I was really missing a, something creative to kind of pour myself into. Um and not that like you know, not that all of my life's problems were were vanished immediately by doing something creative, but it does just kind of um, I guess you know provide an outlet. So it just allows things to to just be in a little bit different perspective.
0: Yeah, I I, I, like. I think what um, to, to amplify that point. I think um, when you when you used to say facing the written page, you know now it's a computer, but um, when you really are staring into your into your eye your eyes are staring into your image on the computer instead of the mm-hmm. written page whatever that's a very <laughs> special time that you're not going to get normally because normally where our lives are filled with noise and obligations and duties and distractions and the solace of being able just to be have your imagination at your disposal writing what you want no matter what you might think of it The next day you might think it was terrible, but, you know, and then you rewrite, but you have that, that ability to be quiet and alone with yourself. I, I highly value that. And most writers that I know and and musicians and artists, it's the same thing. Um, No matter how busy your day is. Otherwise when you get that extra hour or two or three or four, you know, to be with yourself, it's um, you you know, you become your own friend.
1: Right. Right. So with writing, I mean, obviously you've, you've written a, a lot of, of things that, that turned into to novels and, and books and that sort of stuff, but do you, is that exclusively the writing you're doing like in service of a project or do you, do you do free writing or journaling or, or anything like that?
0: I don't, I don't do any journaling anymore. Um, um, I, I, you know, the, the idea of creativity is, can mean many things to many people, um, but to me, it's always like, um, it's a challenge, it's a growth thing, it's upping your game, if you will. So mm-hmm. if, you, if I wrote my first novel in 19, or published my first novel, I think in 1976 or five, um, and mm-hmm. it was not you know a great piece of writing, but it was good enough to get published, that gives me the confidence that, okay, you know, your brain's working and your imagination's working, now how do you improve your skills? You know, do you take a writing mm. class? Do you read more? Do you talk to other writers? And and the answer is, it's different things for different people. But I think you always need that goal to try and improve over your last effort.
1: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, just the volume, again, the number of stories that you, you've told in these, you know, through your writing how are you coming up with all of these ideas? Like, where, do, where does the inspiration for this many stories come from?
0: Yeah, I think every, every writer gets asked that question. And I think there are a lot of different answers. Um, they come from different places. Uh, so they come from a, um, a, a childhood memory you have of, of something that was poignant or disappointing. Usually it's got some sharp edges to it. That's why it sticks with you. And you feel the mm-hmm. need to kind of, you know, explain that to yourself or get it out on paper. Other times, I've had dreams, and um, the the easiest book I ever wrote, and it became a young adult bestseller, just was a morning morning dream. Uh, there's a term I think it's a uh, hypnagogic or hypnopompic. Um, mm-hmm. One is when you're going to sleep, you're in this very lucid state of consciousness. And the other one means mm. when you're waking up before you're fully awake, it's just this incredible clarity in your brain. And so I just had one scene when I was waking up, something happened. I don't know where it came from, but it, it so like enthused me to say, well, this can make a, you know, a pretty good story. And, and then that's, that's, that's what you need to start. Um, the, the challenge for me in writing is, um, you know, get to the end, (laughs) make sure the ending is is good. I mean, it's like a plane um, that takes off, right? The takeoff has to be smooth, the middle of the flight has to be smooth, but the landing, you can't, if you botch the landing, then (laughs) no one's thinking about the takeoff or the middle of the flight right, right. And, Yeah. And
1: the rest of it's irrelevant <laughs> yeah
0: yeah if you, if you don't land you know then you say okay this is a redo um but but for me the hardest part the most challenging part is always the middle of the book because mm-hmm. um when you begin you kind of have an idea where it's going to end and you kind of have an idea who the characters are and what the character arcs will be and how they'll intersect and that's all important but as you start writing another idea comes to you. Like maybe this character should be doing something else. And then you have to decide, well, do I go down that path or do I stick the original? And, and this is the waffling and kind of the, the anxiety provoking aspect you know of writing it people think oh it's so much fun you sit there and you make a you compose music or you do a painting and well you know it's not quite fun it's like you know it's like you say you may have a obsession about it and you may need to do it but you you really are paying attention to the craft right and when I talk about trying to up yourself to the next level it's really about about craft it's about expression what you do with words um, what you do with character arcs. And, um, I'm, I think I've always, every book I write, I improve it. The the, the writing craft I improve on the next project.
1: Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you, you've kind of answered this already, but I'm I'm just curious if you could maybe be a bit specific, but, you know, obviously you're, you're explaining that you're constantly trying to improve and, and each book is, is kind of better than the last, um, so, how does your writing process evolve over time? Like, did you so, start with no real? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, please. no. I,
0: I that just triggered a thought that okay. So, um, I know a lot of writers. Maybe it's the majority. Maybe it's the vast majority. They're genre writers, right? They they mm. write they write detectives or detective stories, or they write historical romances, or they write what about sports or whatever. And I I have never liked. Uh, pigeonholing myself in that, you know, categorization of a genre. It's really kind of stupid for me to say that because um, there are some great genre writers and people like their what they read from this writer. And it's like I say, when you go to McDonald's, if you always want to get a fish sandwich or or a double cheeseburger you know you know when you open up a, a genre writer you kind of know what you're going to expect like james patterson is a classic example he's a factory right and he oh knows God. his craft well and he knows the level of attention span of his on, of his readership so you know <laughs> that that all comes together because the main point is that if you're a writer you got to remember that you need a reader you know, if you, really want to, <laughs> if you really want to sell a book or you want a good review or you want someone to tell you about it, they have to read it. You can't, you can't say. Yeah. And, and um, so you in your mind, like, who am I writing this book for? And when you're not a genre writer, you know, that's always a challenge. You say, well, maybe this book won't get a lot of readers because it's about politics and people are really sensitive about politics. But you have to write it anyway because it's something that you want to tell. It's a story that you want to get out
1: yeah no i mean that i don't mean to continually compare myself to you or something but it just it it resonates with me a lot to hear you say that because you know when i very first started this podcast that everyone told me you've got to have you've got to have a really specific niche and the the more specific that niche is the the better it is and and again to your point that's great advice in a lot of ways um but frankly it's just not as fun to me or interesting right like no, i right. would much rather have a wider variety of yeah, things it's
0: not, and it's not, it's not as interesting right
1: yeah that's that that's where i kind of landed um i it also may not be as lucrative for me but <laughs> time will tell yeah i mean that's that's another su- another subject but, how, to yeah, right? <laughs> how to make money from our craft right. how to make money excuse <laughs> me how to make money from our craft <laughs> right 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 um so uh, I, I guess uh, a question I have is uh, through all these different stories, what do you think uh, is the most essential element of a good story? I mean, you, you mentioned before that the ending has to be reasonable in order for the rest of it to really matter. Is that the most important element or what do you think that is?
0: Well, the most important element Um Um, But there's different ways I can answer that. Um, If you're doing the structure of a book, yeah, the ending is very important. But um, my theory has always been that if you finish a book and what you remember or what you take away emotionally is character driven as Mm. opposed to plot driven you you've you've accomplished something because the plot is always obviously very important we just talked about beginning middle end but the plot to me is a vehicle for getting your characters whom you really like hopefully or maybe some you don't like you want to put them in positions that the reader can identify with and say oh yeah i know what that's like to be parking somewhere and a cop is coming i don't have any i don't have a credit card or a coin to put in the meter and i'm screwed <laughs> what am i going to say right. i mean that's a small example but it's always like you want to do i think identifiable actions for your characters and then you also want surprises you want to surprise the reader too mm.
1: so and then you know as i mentioned at the, the beginning you've also written uh, several screenplays <laughs> Does does that change when it comes from from book to to it's something that's going to be a movie, or is it really the the same? Oh same no, kind it's, of idea? it's
0: very different. It's very different. Mm. Um, um, the, the, the
1: dialogue
0: is you know is important, but you don't want to over dialogue a story. It's really a visual medium, and um, mm. you know um, the the director really has the hardest job, uh, and obviously the photography and the acting and you know are, are very important too. But um, I mean, it was, uh, it was an, a new thing for me to try, and I love movies, I see a lot of films. And it's funny, you, you can see a thousand films and you think you really get it, like you know what, what, what the genre or what the medium is all about. But then when you try and it's new to you, You know, there's a lot of blind spots. And um, it's not the case that every good fiction writer makes a good screenwriter and vice versa, not every screenwriter can write a novel. So I think it's partly what your, your brain habituates to, but, um, they're different skills.
1: Yeah. Well, so is it also just, I mean, as you know, when you're writing a novel, um, of course there's editing and things. So there's some changes from what you initially submit, I'm sure, but, but largely the vision that you have and what you've created is what goes out the door. But when you're a screenwriter, to your point, the director has, a lot of control (laughs) almost almost all of it to some extent so is is it is it difficult to to see it through someone else's vision for it if that makes sense no
0: it does make sense i mean film film filming is a collaborative act it is definitely a Mm. team sport right and um it's one of the difficult things about it when you you're jockeying for position to get your scene in as a writer I mean the, the most the critical part of writing is not the dialogue as important as that can be but it's the blocking of the scenes and and you know how you tell your story and from what point of view which character you tell your story and um mm-hmm. i can't remember the book now i'm sorry to say but the gentleman who wrote about the making of the movie chinatown which was mm-hmm. a classic in I I don't know late '80s I guess right and it was Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, Roman Polanski was the uh, was the director, uh, Robert Towne was the writer, and this this book it, it just started it. But it's like these four people with these large egos, and all think they know how to tell this really very interesting story of the water wars in Los Angeles and the Owen Valleys and the farmers. Right? I mean, it's like. God it's so juicy but you got to pick a path and, and four people who are all instrumental to that to the outcome of that film you know you, you got you got to be able to get along and collaborate and swallow your ego whatever it takes and amazingly right. enough for all the problems that film had it, it came out a classic. And you know, <laughs> it's hard to look back and say, "Oh, I know why it was a this or that." And sometimes it's random. I mean, it's not totally random, obviously. You have to have the talent, sure. but I mean, the, the, the juxtaposition of this or that kind of makes or one scene makes makes the whole, you know, em- emphasizes the point of the story.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, that's fair. So I'm curious because I've talked to to people who've written fiction and nonfiction and stuff, but I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who's done biographies. So in doing a biography you my my guess at least would be that you're doing a lot more kind of interviews and like collecting information maybe more so than you would for the other types of writing is that yes is that correct?
0: yes so so you know a book uh, based on um, well, I've written political books. I've written, um, I've written um, stories about war heroes. I've written about artists. Um, some I was asked by a publisher to do and some I wanted to do. So I had to sell the idea to a publisher. Um, I usually like to do something that I'm interested in and can learn more from, like from an artist mm. or whatever. If someone wants me to just tell the story of a pilot who was shot down and over Croatia and you know um, uh, I'll do it you know it's not as thrilling to me as a as a finished product as my own imagination but I know sure. talking about making money you know the the book will sell well and often uh, at least 10 20 years ago when you were asked by a publisher to write a young adult adaptation of an adult novel that you knew was going to sell well, you knew that you were going to be able to piggyback on that and sell copies to young adults. Um, so that was nice, but that has changed now. I think to a degree in that um, I'm going to say kids, 12 years old and up, if you're a good reader, and because of social media, the worlds we have been exposed to, there's you know there's no book that a 12 year old that I know can't pick up, and <laughs> you know. And, and right. appreciate it or like it or dislike it, um, it's, you, know, it's, you worry about reading in general, is, is that going to disappear or is that going to shorten? But a story is a story and you know, people know what the story is, what's going on in the world and they can absorb it.
1: I mean, obviously, with a book and a movie, you can get feedback from from your audience. People can write reviews, or send you emails, or letters, or, or that sort of thing. But is it is it is it a, a, an interesting experience to see an audience watch a movie? Because I mean, you, you're not really going to watch someone read your book, right? I mean, that'd be kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but with a movie, you can like see someone experiencing it live. Is that is that a, 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 interesting at all? It makes me very uncomfortable to.
0: Um... To go into a an audience and people are watching the movie and and um you get i uh, get very antsy and you can't wait for the experience to be over and i personally want to get out of the theater as soon as possible i i just don't <laughs> want to and i could say the same thing about book writing i i really don't like to reread a book that i, I published because oh. because you'll say what what were, you, what were you thinking i mean you know what how did that happen if i could do that book again i would do it again um yeah. And i just and i just did that with the book i I wrote a young adult book called beginner's guide to winning an education excuse me to winning to winning an, um, an election um and um two or three years later i'm reading it, and i said you know This doesn't do justice to the characters or to the potential of of the story here. So um, that's my latest book. So I rewrote it as an adult novel, made it much longer, deeper. Um, There are more characters who are in there to express a point of view. There's more conflict. Um, There's more uh, thematic emphasis on what's happened the last four years in politics, or the eight years or 10 years. And without taking sides, I can always say that, you know, politics evolves, especially again with social media, it evolves at a such a rapid rate that um, you it's very, it's a blur, it's hard to predict where it's going to go. You don't have the stabilizing influences that you had 20 or 30 years ago. So it's always that temptation, you want to, you know, capture it better.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting, uh, uh, like, with the way that the world has shifted. I mean, I was born in in, the, in 83, so when I was born, cable TV was, was around, but it wasn't prevalent like it is now, and certainly the Internet wasn't out yet. So we weren't quite in the era, in the previous era, where it was just three channels, you know. Um, but it was closer to that, where everyone was pretty much watching the same stuff, you know. Um, but so there's also these people who are kind of gatekeepers of information and and some people are, look at that as a really negative thing. And I can understand why that could be a a bad outcome, but fast forward to where we are now. And now it's the opposite. Like now it's so fragmented and it's so spread out everywhere. And there's so many places to get information that now it seems like we're in a place where it's just almost impossible to understand what's objectively true and not because you can just, you can go and and find people who will very, very enthusiastically tell you two opposite things are true. Right, right. Um, So
0: so you end up, don't you end up asking yourself, how do we get it in this position? You know, it used to be, um, um, there were facts and then there was opinions, (laughs) right? Right. And uh, I think with Senator Monahan from New York, uh, maybe in the early 80s, he said to somebody, sir, they're having a debate in Congress. He said, sir, you're entitled to your opinions, but you're not entitled to your own set of facts. And, and right. you know, and at that time, that made a lot of sense. Right. Uh, but this is almost <laughs> this is in the era of actually whether you had the three state ABC, NBC, CBS. Yeah. Those are the only news channels. Right. They you trusted them. They were factual, yeah. Right. Um, and they went great to great lengths to, to give the background of why they were factual. And then yeah. I, again, I keep mentioning the internet, but, um, uh, and all the various platforms and suddenly everybody, if they don't want to be an expert on something, they may come across as it and they like it or, you know, yeah. or, or you get in the community of bloggers or, uh, we all know the ramifications of this. Well, what we don't know is the future. And um, I mean, I can't see this dichotomy of points of view and polarization, and claiming this is a fact, but that's not a fact. And you know, without some kind of common ground, uh, some way of judging this, and 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 let's have respect for what we can say is factual.
1: Yeah, yeah. I really, I'm, I, I, uh, I have no idea how to solve <laughs> that problem. Nor do um, I. <laughs> I have some naive idealistic hope that like American ingenuity or something like we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Like we'll, we'll someone throughout our history, some people have, have created innovative solutions to problems that weren't otherwise obvious until they were, were created. And and that's kind of where I'm putting my hope now is that yet again, we'll rise to the occasion and do that. Because if not, yeah, I mean, I don't, I I don't mean I'm not doom and gloom necessarily, but it's just, it just seems untenable um, to stay. Yeah, as it, is. It,
0: it does, and you know, and you're relying upon the the human instinct of survival, right? Which, yeah, which is a you know obviously the driver of our of our DNA, and survival is you know it's emotional, it's mental, it's physical, it's a very complicated thing, and how you react to it, and um, you know, we are not. I don't think human beings were. Are, have fully evolved um sure, to, yeah. to have the ability to solve all of their problems they they can create problems without knowing it and then somebody else has to come along i'm thinking now of elon musk uh because as much as i you know i love him as a character he drives me crazy but he's going to <laughs> mars he's going to the moon he's building a car he's you know i mean what doesn't he do right. talk about work ethics. Um, so he's a problem solver, you know, without tacking a specific problem, he's going to open an area of, of intellectual interest and AI and whatever it might be. And that will, you know, people will say, oh, that's what we've been looking for.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Um, well, I completely took us down a a rabbit hole there. So, uh, to, to, to go back to, to your work a bit, I mean, you talked earlier about how characters and character development is really the kind of the, the most valuable element um, or I don't know if that's the right word, but whatever, a very important aspect of, of, of a good, of a good story or or a good book. Do you ever find yourself missing characters that, that you wrote about a long time ago or or wanting to revisit their stories?
0: Oh yeah. I I think, you know, if, if the, the way you, you know, you've created um, a good character for your reader Um, Mm -hmm. is that that character is has to be memorable to you and um, I don't remember all my early characters but in my more favorite my my favorite books and they they become your friends they didn't exist before you started creating them uh, on the on the computer and after you finish it they exist and um if you take some really popular book, books like when i was a teenager such as catcher in the rye i don't know if that mm. is, has stayed on with future generations or not but that was the book it's like harry potter became the book for teenagers whenever the, every ah. 10 years right it becomes the go to generational iconic book and right. um and harry potter i think is the, thing, the fantasy and Um, magic and uh, deprivation and turned into opportunity. I mean, the things that are going on that make it a strong book. And in Catcher in the Rye, um, it's about a man, young man named Holden Coalfield, who just can't get along with anybody. And he knows it. And he's not sure whether he likes that or not. You know, but where is his path? Right? I mean, this is back in in the books take takes place in the fifties, I think. So those Mm. are the dark ages in terms of self exploration.
1: So that
0: that character really stays with me. That's
1: Mm. that's fair. That's fair. So, um, I, I guess a question I have is, do you feel like curiosity is a driver of, um, of, of your, your career, of your work?
0: Um, I think curiosity is essential for any of the arts. Um, Mm. Because if you don't, if you don't open yourself up to asking questions that you don't know the answer to, and then your your art medium becomes that quest to find an answer or or do your best to what you think should be written about that subject, then um, you're not fully motivating yourself. I think I think people who have the energy, I mean, the great thinkers of the world, they change the world. You know, the Leonardo yeah. da Vinci's, they, they, they changed the world. So the, do writers change the world? Sometimes they do. Um, not in the, the way of that, you know, someone makes up, invents the airplane or invents uh, the computer <laughs> or whatever. But um, right. there's some stories that have been written in a specific period of time. You know, I think of World War II and certain stories that, you know, examine what happened there in the aftermath. They're still being written. Because there's something there that needs some more answers. We don't want to repeat history that has such mm-hmm. evil consequences. So what do we do to prevent ourselves from going down that use your phrase the rabbit hole again?
1: right? Yeah, that's fair. Um, so you, you know've I've talked to um, a lot of, of coaches on the podcast life coaches and self-development people, that sort of stuff and, and I work with a life coach myself. I, I, I don't know what the the fundamental core to all of that is for sure, but in all those conversations, and certainly all these people have their own niches and their own nuances. So I don't mean to lump them all together as being the same because they're not. But underlying a lot of what these these different people talk about seems to be some some fundamental principles, and it seems like living with intentionality, um, having a routine. Um, Curiosity—it seems like those are 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 really again kind of core principles that underlie whatever nuance or niche you know these different people have with it. Does does that sound? I, I'm really just asking you from your experience. Does that sound well, correct? Well, or what is your thought? Well, when you say
0: in, intentionality, I, I assume that means purpose. You you've decided that, yeah, that you exactly. want embark on a on a specific purpose or purposes i think that's absolutely yeah. um uh, necessary or you're just going to squander mm-hmm. time and obviously i mm-hmm. uh, you know we 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 talked about um uh i just sorry i just do a blank what was your other point um intentionality and curiosity oh. and there was a third, yeah. a well, third you know, point a goal um,
1: yeah the goal which is probably tied uh, in intentionality. you know a goal helps a lot of people
0: if they don't have a goal to, um, to aim toward and to, to, to hopefully accomplish, then you can get lost. You can get lost in the shuffle. There's, again, there are so many opinions about, you know, what your generation or my generation is about and what we've accomplished or not accomplished. Um, if you get caught up in that, then you've lost your singularity. So maybe Mm -hmm. intentionality to me means your uniqueness. All right, because we're oh. all unique beings. If you look at um, any musician, any artist, any podcaster, you all have uh, a certain something. You call it you call it a niche. You have a certain style. You have a certain approach. Your your, your tone is, is is certain and is distinct, and um, and that you know defines the product which you end up making.
1: Right, right. So do you have, uh, you know, you mentioned Catcher in the Rye is, is a book and, and character, central character that really stuck with you. Are there other authors or, or books that are, are, are heavy inspirations to your writing career? Well, it,
0: it, it, my dental hygienist last week asked me, uh, what kind of books do you like or whatever? And, and, yeah. and she, and she you know, she's pretty literate, is, is literate even more than I am. And she named authors, only half of which I knew. I knew their names, <laughs> yeah. I knew their reputations. And she kept saying to me, Well, who do you like? Who do you like? Well I said, Well there's <laughs> there's Hemingway, there's Fitzgerald, there's four medics, four you know, I'm Joseph Conrad, James Joyce, you know, I'm going back to authors I was weaned on in mm-hmm. in school and um the where literature has gone since then is a very different place. I never imagined where it would go. Um so um that's you know, that's just the way it, it is. But um, I I like to look out for new authors if I have the time. I like to see what they're doing, um and, and what makes them good, uh, and how they're shaped by their current generation.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was just curious and, and I've really I've gotten a mixed answer from from the different authors that I've talked to. Um I have a friend that that has a, a master's degree in, in writing and um not not nearly the the career that you've had of course to this point but but his kind of take on on an essential part of being a good writer is that you have to read a lot because that's how you're exposed to the craft or whatever but then yeah I talked to some authors that that don't really prioritize reading i mean sure they read for pleasure and that sort of thing but it's not like a regimented thing um, and it doesn't sound like maybe at this point that's true for you. Like, it's not something that you're really, it's focused like, on. Uh,
0: my problem with, um, you know, getting too much into other writers is I don't want to be influenced by them. I don't want to mm. be influenced by their syntax. I don't want to be, um, uh, influenced by how they structure their plot. Um, huh. I, I, you know, again, going back to singularity or uniqueness, um, you want to hope that your voice you know, uh, can be heard over the rest of the rest of the universe of 2 million novels that are now published every year, whatever number, absurd number it is. Right. Right. And you can't, How you know, which ones do you read? You're, you're hoping somebody will read your book. So they're hoping you'll read their book. And it's like, how do you, right. you know, how, how do you go about it? Um,
1: that's, yeah, that's, that's fascinating because, you know, um, Obviously plagiarism is is uh, you know we know what that is well in, in, I'm a, a stand up comedy fan, and in stand up comedy there's there's the they don't call it plagiarism, but the idea of stealing another comedian's jokes or whatever right, but I was listening to one of my favorite comics uh, on his podcast and and he was talking about how he doesn't you know he's like i don't think that joke stealing is incredibly common probably in the same way that plagiarism and was probably not incredibly common in, in published authors. But he said that that what a lot of younger comedians will do is unintentionally, oftentimes, end up kind of stealing the cadence mm. of comedians they look up to. And it just made me think of that when you were talking about, like, you don't, it's not that you're worried about, you know, you're going to steal someone else's plot points or something, but you don't want your the way you write, the voice that you write from, as you, you explained it, um, to come from somewhere else, you,
0: you don't want to be compared to someone else. Um, yeah. that, you, that you don't compare yourself to, and you may not particularly like that that writer. <laughs> right. You know, suddenly, <laughs> hey, Michael, you know, you, you don't cut it compared to whatever whoever the who the author is. So that's a, sure. that's a little unsettling. But you go back again to creativity, right? And I, I, I don't, um, I don't necessarily mind if you find similarities between my writing other people's writings or whatever or there's it's i'd like to use the analogy of music and um i was watching the martin scorsese documentary on bob dylan i think that was mm-hmm. back in 06 07 08 and um dylan was very um very very compelling in what he said um and he was known to pick up songs this is in early days before he was very famous. And, and um, one, I think, was uh, House of the Rising Sun. And mm. he was talking to the songwriter. And he, and, um, he said, I've, you know, I've heard that song in demo, whatever. Um, you know, would you mind if I record it? It's just, this is just verbal in those days. There's no contract. There's no royalties yet. And and the, and the songwriter said, well, actually, Bob, I do mind because I'm going to record it myself. And Dylan says, uh-oh. <laughs> he'd, <laughs> he'd already recorded it. And then his, sure. and his, his uh, label wanted to, you know, he did a great job. And, I, you know, so the number of people that have sang the same song is my point, and they have a different yeah. way of singing it um, Forever Young, for example, I've heard maybe five or six groups sing that. And if you have a favorite song, I'm sure, you know, it's been duplicated by a number of recording artists. And that's okay. Yeah. I, for some reason, I that seems acceptable in society too, right? Because your voice... You know, is different enough, or your—you said your cadence, your inflection. There's just mm-hmm. something unique about it. And um, y- even though you know the storyline, so to speak, you know the song, you don't know that cadence until that person presents it to you.
1: Right. So if if someone's you know listening and and maybe they haven't accomplished um, you know anything approaching what you have, but they think that that sounds like something they would like to 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 achieve. What advice would you give to someone? How does, how does someone be as consistent as you have for as long as you have with the, uh, the amount of work you've put out?
0: Well, one is a work ethic. Um, mm-hmm. I'm explain how that was bred into me by my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is that um, on a particular, talking about the craft of writing, you really have to get a psychic and emotional satisfaction from it. You you have mm. to want to get something from it to keep on doing it. And you again, I might not to repeat myself, but the, but to improve yourself is like, OK, I've, I've become a, a writer that I never thought I would become 20, 25 years ago. And that kind of self-discovery is always kind of interesting. The other point I would make is that um, when you after you think you've learned your craft or you learn it well enough to to write a presentable book, you should always ask yourself, um, what do I want this book to achieve? And that can mean, mm. like, who do I want to read it? Or um, what do I want to, to come across when someone reads this book? And is it the same thing that affects me? And should it be the same thing that affects every reader? Maybe, maybe not. But if you say, I have a purpose, I want to write a bestseller, I hear that a lot, right? And uh, <laughs> under my breath, I say, good luck but, uh, how do you do that? Tell me, I want to know how to do that. Um, but if you, if you're going to set out to write a bestseller, you know, um, it's like winning the lottery. You, you just don't know. You can write a book that has a commercial theme to it, or, you know, people love murder stories or whatever. Um, and, and you might have a shot, but it might take you 20 or 30 years before you build up, uh, an audience. And then on the Mm -hmm. other hand, um, somebody creates a book like, um, um, I'm trying to remember now, it's this, it's the uh, um, uh, I don't know if I should call it soft porn or not. Um, oh, okay, 50, 50, Shades, 50 Shades of Grey.
1: Oh, and, yeah, that's a fair and, and I'll, is that, I'll back up that. Yeah, okay. You know,
0: <laughs> and, you know, and I don't know the writer and I don't think there were other books, you know, but and she self published this and boy, that struck a chord. And sure I did. mean, I, I've heard from a lot of people that, um, the, I think, I think random house penguin published that. And, um, if it weren't for the 50 shades of gray and it's two sequels, which I've read none of them, but if it weren't for them in a sales factor, random house would not have made a profit in that three or four or five year span. So wow. you gotta understand that the publisher needs to survive. So if you say, how could Random House, who publishes, who published William Faulkner or whoever, you know, publish, <laughs> publish this stuff? Well, the answer is, you know, yeah. in its day, William Faulkner sold. But now, you know, if women or men, whatever, want soft porn uh, for whatever reason, and you're going to make money from it, why, why would you not publish it?
1: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 reality that we all have to eat at the end of the day. Yeah. So
0: that's right. I'm getting hungry right now. No,
1: i yeah. we <laughs> Well, that's fair. Um, well, so yeah, so, uh, you know, I do want to make sure that we, we touch on your website, um, com. you know, there you've got, you've got a, a little section about yourself. You've got links to all your books, contact information. You've got a blog. Um, how often do are you, are you writing on that blog? Um, I try to, when I
0: have the time um, to do maybe um, once a week, once every two weeks, to write a blog, especially if there's an interesting subject, or if I'm just publishing a book, I'll, you know, I'll blog around that subject matter wise not necessarily Mm -hmm. the book itself but you know why i'm interested in that area that subject matter um um, i think blogs can be very very interesting but like writing itself like writing anything it takes time and i'm a big believer in rewriting i don't think you can ever rewrite enough if you've got the patience to keep doing it and a, 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 a 300 word blog may seem very different than a 80,000 word novel. And of course it is, but still the precision that you have and the respect that you have for the words that you put on the page, you want them to be the best words that you can.
1: Mm, that's fair. Um, well, well, Michael, I got to say, it's it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you this evening. Um, I'll, and again, I'll have a link in the show notes. Is there anything that we haven't touched on though? Or is there anything, any book or, or movie or anything that you wanted to talk about that I, I didn't didn't bring up yet?
0: Um I, I, you know, the things that interest me, um, um, I mean, this has been a, a very difficult year with the pandemic, right? Yeah. And I, when I was watching the Oscars, I, I felt so bad for everybody there because they looked like, what am I doing in this restaurant? <laughs> or one time looked right. like at somebody's garage and then somebody, mm-hmm. you know, someone's drinking and someone's eating and somebody else is not. Um, but there were some, there are always great films every year. And I felt some of them didn't get the attention that they would have in a, in a normal year. Um, I, I think things will get back to normal. Um, yep. And um, um, again, I like I like movies as much as I like books. Um, and, and I hope um, the people that really the, the the new writers and the new screenwriters, um, their their interests um, fascinate me, whether it's about politics or about racial relations or whether it's social justice. These things are having their, their moment in the sun, and they should, in my mind. So, you sure. know, and and how people will make their interpretations of that in a dramatic story, that's of great interest.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, I know that. I I agree. I'm looking forward to seeing um, what comes next because I, I feel like we kind of, I feel like the, the most popular movies for the last decade were the like blockbuster superhero movie kind of thing. Right. But I wonder if after this pandemic and kind of the, reckoning that that brought um i'm curious to see what (laughs) what movies will will be Uh, coming
0: forward uh, reckoning is a good word right because people adjust to you know things that happen in the world um Mm -hmm. i mean to me i mean nomadland was a big movie um because it captured um the idea of a generation that has run out of chance to make a living really and you you're down to your metaphorically your rv you know whatever you define mm-hmm. as your essence, and what do you do with that? Where do you go? Every moment is as important as any other moment in your life, and maybe the mm-hmm. moment tomorrow is even more important than the moment today. You just, you just don't know. It depends what happens to you. So that, to me, was a good movie, because it reacted to the, the whole pandemic thing. And the other movie I like very much was uh, um, Judas, Judas and the Black Messiah, um, mm. you know, which was a strong racial story of what happened to the Black Panthers in Chicago in the 70s. And I lived through that. So that mm. might have had a particular in- interest to me. But but um, yeah, but what genre comes up, you know, comedies. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's always a new twist and new talent. Right. New talent. <clears throat> right. Oh, excuse me.
1: Absolutely. Sure. Um, well, again, Michael French, it's it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with you this evening. Uh, we'll have links to, to the the website in our show notes. Um, anywhere else that people should connect with you, do you? Are you on any social media platforms you'd like them to connect um, with or just the website? Oh,
0: I, I think just my website. I mean, I'll, I'll post things that are other people say or reviews and all that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I, you know, uh, this, my the, this book is a political book in the future. And it's like saying, you know, if things go, if they zig instead of zag, um, you know, you're going to have a whole different scenario than you thought you would have. So that's, you know, that's always good to provoke that kind of controversy and and thought.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, Well, again, Michael French, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank, Thank you, Walker.
2: Run through a feed Crimes in to hidden blotter And open bribes to charlatan feed Forgotten lambs left to the slaughter Easy and a point, judge and they're safe from the front line Not everyone starts at the same point a at starting line are in an instant Just a sea of angry pickets i shouts of fight in the distance Our homes are burned as the moon rise A business suit standing at our back door no. Telling us all about the change Sunday shoes standing at our front door, telling the so. A business suit standing at our back door. Telling us all about the chain. A Sunday shoe standing at our front door. Telling us all the blame. And who should we be loyal to? When the levees break from weather. And locked up, killed. They keep us living just above nothing. Easier to say what to do, hindsight's a luxury of time. The warm beds a bank accounts, all the desperate kill of the times. The dam was broken in a second, a waste of fearful and angry eyes. Shots all through the neighbor's yard, cause cars returned changing time Mm
1: -hmm. A
2: business suit standing at our back door Telling us all about the chain A Sunday shoe standing at our front door Telling us all
1: All right, folks, well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much again to Michael French for stopping by. I'm incredibly humbled to have him on the show. Of course, thank you to Misha Zarens for the music. And last but not least, thank you, listener. I'd also like to invite you to check out my other podcasts, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by me and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games where we talk about why gaming matters. And my newest podcast, the Crowfall podcast, is co-hosted with me and Chris Crabtree, which is all about the new MMO, Crowfall. You can find both Pick Up Your Sticks and the Crowfall podcast on any podcast platform. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.